All right, everyone, welcome to episode 12 of the Open Pantry podcast. Uh, great to have you for another episode. Uh, excellent, excellent guest today. Fails to, uh, she just dominates every other guest we've had. Hopefully, <laughs> the other guests aren't listening. Uh, Bianca Vavaleska. Um, hello, how are you? Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's amazing to have you on. Absolutely amazing to have you on. So, thank you for joining us. No. Now, um, I've got you on today because um, you're a freelance marketing and branding director. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people who listen to this, um, whether they've got their own hospitality venue now or they're thinking about doing it, mm. um, branding and marketing are, are such key things um, that make a food venue successful, but um, but not many people, uh, you know, do it properly uh, mm. for lots of different reasons that we'll talk about. So um, why don't you explain to the, to the Open Pantry podcast audience Um, just about how you got into the industry. Yeah, so I started working when I was about 15. Um, I was super eager just to start working. Like, I remember handing out my resumes, like, when I was, like, 14 and nine months, and I'm like, I'm ready to work. I'm so keen. And then um, around the same time, we had to do work experience for high school. Um, So I went into Michelle's Patisserie, which was a – I think it still exists. It's like a franchise. It does. (laughs) But it's very dated. Um, it has an older demographic um, and it's just a franchise model. Um, so I started working with them and it was a small team. Um, just That was for work experience. And then straight after the two weeks, they offered me a job there and I totally took it because I really felt like they could nurture me and teach me a lot of things because it was such a small team. Um, and that's when I really learned about um, like inventory and um, managing expenses and mm-hmm. um, ordering and all that sort of stuff quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of these sort of franchises are located in shopping centres, so they're very high volume. Yes. Um, so it really taught me to um, create coffee um, at a fast pace, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time do it really as high quality as I possibly could. Um, and so I was there for about two years um, and I always knew that I wanted to be in hospitality, but I also wanted to work in business too. And I always found that when you work in hospitality venues, no matter what your role is, you're doing a variety of things. So you might be someone that's working on the forefront of house, but you're still part of the brand. Yes. You're, you might be managing the venue, you're still part of experiences and you're counting cash and all that sort of stuff. So you have to be quite flexible with what you do. And so that's why I stayed in the industry for um, quite some time um, from there. I worked with Coco Black, um, mm-hmm. which is a chocolate um, like a chocolate store, really luxury chocolates and I also worked at Grilled which is funnily enough how we crossed paths and we didn't realize <laughs> it to all these years later which is so crazy oh, no. um, so you were the area manager when I was working um, at the high point store which yep. is just so crazy how the universe <laughs> works and here we are like what is it a couple of years later yep. um, and then from there I worked with the Atlantic group for some um, major events such as uh, like you Grand Prix and Spring Racing Carnival, um, because they do a lot of the catering for the actual festival itself, but with different sort of packages, whether it's um, for people attending and um, more higher-end clients Mm -hmm. clients as well. Um, And, yeah, so that's kind of was, I think, I worked with other smaller cafes in between. Um, As a cafe manager, um, 
and running sort of the operations and stuff, but I always had this passion for business at the same time too. So whilst I was studying, um, I was working in hospitality. Um, mm-hmm. And just I always wanted the best of both worlds. And I think mm-hmm. over time, as time has progressed, I have created the best of both worlds by being a freelancer because I get to yep. focus on the business side of things. Um, but I'm so passionate about hospitality and creating experiences, which is what it's all about. And yeah. Bianca, Bianca, that want to be a freelancer and have your own business, was that um, was that f- driven from someone um, in the family or, or someone you looked up to when you were moving through the ranks or is that just something you've... Um, sort of wanted to do yourself you know the concept of freelancing was quite new to me when I had just started I started freelancing towards the end of last year around October the whole concept was new to me I knew people did it but I always was familiar with freelancers as writers not as how can you be a freelancer as a marketer and a business developer Mm -hmm. Um, because typically people um, create businesses like agencies and consultancies such Mm -hmm. as yours Mm -hmm. but I've always um, I've always liked being involved as myself Um, and being really hands-on in terms of what I do. I noticed that my parents, um, so my parents um, are of European background and they'd always had um, a role at a company and they really created this freedom for themselves um, to work from home and go on holidays and, like, my dad right now is in Russia with my mum watching the World Cup. They are literally living their best lives. (laughs) I get videos from people that are dead, like, is this your dad? And I'm like, oh, my God. How awesome. (laughs) That's so crazy. (laughs) But they really created um, this just this own life of their like their own under nobody's rules and I've always liked liked being able to work on different projects that I like to choose and working with brands that I really believe in and I can see the growth potential in um so that's probably the main reason um why I decided to freelance okay Okay. yeah and uh, obviously you've been in the industry a bit now and been lucky enough to obviously uh, have that hospitality career Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. um you know for all of you all your working life, like what do you think the main difference is between branding and marketing? Because I think a lot of people get them mm. confused or only really think of one of those things. Yeah, well, branding is essentially about strategy. It's about um, what comes to people's minds when they hear your business name. Um, it's mm-hmm. about how people feel and what they think of your business. Meanwhile, marketing is essentially the tactics. So how are you going to achieve that, you know? Yeah. Branding is strategy and overarching marketing is the actual doing. So it's about the content you create on social media. It's um, uh, any other extension of like a workshop you might do or um, digital advertising, all those sort of things. So it's how you're actually communicating what you believe in as a brand. So one strategy, one's tactics, if that kind right. of makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Would you think, uh, do you think uh, as well... Like, I don't think a lot of brands think about the actual... <laughs> it's going to sound funny, um, but I don't think a lot of brands think about the brand. They just think about the marketing aspect a lot mm. because they're worried about the transaction part. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that's a, that's a true statement or are you seeing, are you seeing most people sort of getting it right? Um, look, it's interesting. A lot of the, the cafes, particularly, I'm more experienced in, I think, cafes and sort of fast food venues. Yeah. Um, good fast food venues but um yes <laughs> in terms of in terms of cafes i think the ones that we know and we love and we go to often they have absolutely nailed their branding because they work with design agencies and they're thinking a lot about the long-term growth of the business yes and you know the ones that do have you know fantastic venues they then open other fantastic venues because they've got the processes right they've got the strategy right they think of it as a 
as an overall approach rather than I'm just selling coffee. It costs $4. Thank you. See you later. There's a lot yes. more of a, a yeah. thought that goes behind it. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, I don't know if I'm going a bit off topic with this, but no, it's cool. that being said, when you're when you're running a venue, it's it's so much more than just branding. It's so much more than a, a logo. It's so much more than the um, the matching cups you have to mm-hmm. your overall aesthetic. It's there are so many things involved from the people you work with and. Um, your, the items you have on the menu. It's really about, I think, creating experiences. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a venue, um, particularly, it is about the experience and the time that you spend in that cafe. I feel like I totally went off topic with that question. No, no, no. I think, I think it's I think But it's, it's just this, to... there's so many grey areas, but it's just about mm. bringing everything together as a yes. whole yes. and thinking through things as, you know, being compassionate and creating experiences, but experiences are branding, you know. Mm. Marketing is just the, the everyday things that you do to bring people in. But once they're there, that is still your brand, you know. Most if someone is, if you have an, an employee that's, you know, having a bad day and they're a little bit rude or a bit cold or the table's dirty or the menus, you know, have grubby fingerprints, like that's all branding. Do you know mm. what I mean? Not just mm-hmm. the beautifully designed um menu with really nice fonts and yummy food. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah, a, it's a whole get you, a whole get approach. you across the line. Yeah. 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 So with with that, what do you think are some of the key fundamentals that really make a brand successful in hospitality? In hospitality specifically, um, I think it comes down to service because under service falls the experiences you create. It falls under how people feel, you know, there's this, there's this thing about cafes particularly, I think, or any venue in particular, but specifically cafes because we do consume coffee almost every single day and it's part of our yes. routine. Um, cafes are a third place from home. You know, people are going there before work. Cafes that are open late, they go in there after work. Like they're kind of, it really is another place for them to just relax and they don't want to deal, and I'm talking about customer specific, they don't want to deal yes. with, you know, extra stress that another employee might be under. Like you've mm-hmm. got to be compassionate and that comes from an internal approach from how you're managing your venues and making sure your employees are happy to be there and you're Correct. treating them well because that does fall through. But I do think, you know, you have to have excellent people um, at the front of the line that are excited to be there and really passionate about what they do to share the knowledge, to talk about where the coffee's from or, you know, if the ingredients are locally sourced and all that sort of stuff. They have to really feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, next would be you have to have a great product. I think it's important um, to do something really, really well. Um, I think, and I'm, I keep using cafes as, as an example just because I've worked with so many different cafes. Yes. Like over any sort of other product or industry. But you have to have really good coffee. And I think there's so much competition out there these days and there's so many cafes that do it really well. If you want to if you want to keep a successful business that's financially viable and having customers in, you have to have really good coffee. You have to have consistently really, really, really good coffee, good food um, all the time, forever, until your existence. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and yes. then as well as, I think, consistency in everything. So consistently good quality coffee, consistently really good service, um, you know, creating it, like really engaging even content as well so people learn more about the coffee and stuff. I think, you know, back when maybe four or five years ago when the social media wasn't really integrated as a strategy, it was just about sharing photos. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've lost my train of thought. But back when, back when it, I think people weren't using it as a channel to, to communicate, cafes in particular. Yes. They weren't taking photos of their coffee. They weren't talking about, um, you know, the origin and where it's from and, you know, the farmers and all that sort of stuff. And now there is a responsibility and there's brands like such as St. Ali who kind of do lead the charge. And I think there's a lot of cafes, really good cafes out there, um, just St. Ali comes to mind, um, yes. that are leading the charge in terms of... Um, making it important for people to know where the coffee is coming from. Same as Market Lane. Like there's so many good cafes that are doing that really well. Yes. But, you know, if, you know, like, yeah, it's just, it's about just consistency across everything. If you're talking about fundamentals, to just like, highlight that, um, it's about excellent service, great product, and being consistent about everything that you do. I think most definitely. I think especially in the cafe space, and I know you've done a bit of talking about Market Lane uh, mm-hmm. At the moment, you know, a massive, um, I mean, they're a massive market player here. But mm. They don't feel like it, but they certainly are. Mm. Um, but they really keep their brand identity mm. different um, between their sites. Mm. Um, and and you're right, they are consistent. And the thing that is consistent is uh, the feeling that every single barista or people person you come into contact with at that venue actually cares mm. um, as much about the quality of, their, of coffee they're producing as well as where that product is actually coming from. And mm. they've done a really good job of actually talking about, you know, where that product comes from and the brand narrative around that because, mm. you know, you know, working with so many different cafes, right, a lot of people think coffee's coffee. Mm. Um so it really just comes down to, you know, how they talk about their brand story. Yeah. Do they feel comfortable? Does that customer feel comfortable? And do they like the barista who's making their coffee every day? Like it, yeah. Like it's some of those simple things. Well, with Mark Elaine, for example, I did an interview with, um, I think the co- he's the co-founder still, Jason, I think his name is Jason, yeah, Jason Sh- yep. Shelters. Yes. I might be saying his name wrong. But yep. um, I did an interview with him and it was interesting. I think a lot of people don't know that Mark Lane doesn't, um, for example, serve soy milk or no. like milk alternatives, which is yep. kind of shock factor to some people that go there. But that way, that's part of their brand saying our coffee is best with, you know, full cream, like good quality mm-hmm. milk. Yep. And that's how we make our coffee. That is yep. still part of their brand. They yes. might be losing some customers, but that's what they believe in. Mm-hmm. Because then they'll attract the right people that drink black coffee and um, full cream milk coffee that appreciate the taste of their coffee. If that Most makes definitely. sense, yeah. And, it, and it's actually a really smart play. Let's say if they lose 5% of customers who come in mm. and walk out because they, you know, only like almond milk, mm. um, <laughs> the, the people that actually love the fact that they do that will tell mm. a lot of people about that and that will in turn bring more, more clientele. So it's actually a really smart play. Mm. Um, why, why do you think... Um, brands would actually need to do a rebrand of a particular venue um, and why do you think why do you think that's important let's say someone's yeah. buying uh, an, uh, an existing cafe or an existing mm-hmm. restaurant why do you think it would be important to potentially do a rebrand well uh, when it comes down to if someone's maybe purchasing a cafe they would want to put on 
put their own flavor on things. So I think a couple of years ago you would see all places that don't really focus on branding, they would put like under new management. It's like, yes. please excuse whatever other bad stuff the I past owners signs, did. <laughs> it's not, we're not the same, we're different. We're different, we're not yeah. as bad as before. Yeah. yeah, we're not as bad, we're still kind of the same premises, but it's about that stigma that, that yes. venue had. Yes. Um, if any place does a, and I think a lot of brands don't do a full rebrand, they might change things internally that ultimately affect people's perception. But when you do do right. a rebrand, it's often it's often subtle and they're little tweaks that are based on certain things, so colour associations. So, mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows like um, a lot of fast food joints focus on like red and yellow because that's like the colours of hunger and thirst and that's what mm-hmm. the colours that evokes from, so that's the emotions those colours evoke. Um, but if they do do a rebrand, it's often quite subtle. So it's making, you know, the font, for example, a little bit, you know, this is just an example, like bolder or make it yeah. feel a certain way so that people associate that venue um, in a certain way. Um, yes. So if they were to do a, if, I think what was your question was, how would they go about doing a rebrand? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's about focusing internally about your processes, your processes and systems first, um, just mm-hmm. because... You can blanket over, you know, with really nice colours and branding and really pretty things, but if internally your service is still slow, your staff are still, you know, rude or they don't understand how to communicate properly with customers, you can spend all this money with an agency or a freelancer designing and creating something, but if you haven't got those foundations sorted yet, it's pointless because then in two years' time you'll literally be that same venue that it was before the rebrand if that makes sense. Yes. But usually yes. when people do rebrand, it is for repositioning sake so that they can be established in a certain way in a different, um, in a new, sorry, in the same area. Um, yep. Their branding might be dated. So you find a lot of older franchises that are larger, you know, are kind of a bit slower with rebrands, especially when there's so many people yes. involved and so many venues involved and it's quite high cost because you have to change all your assets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does allow for growth in new and different markets. And I think if you're going to do a rebrand, it's probably just because of certain associations. Um, so mm-hmm. if you've had like a bit of a PR crisis and you've done something really wrong and you've got to change things up, that's when you kind of got to overhaul everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And who, in your sort of experience, when, when people open new mm-hmm. venues, who who sort of controls the name? Is that... Is that usually the the person whose actual site it is, or is it, mm. is it the the person who's the the branding expert who's saying, "Oh, I think this name will work because it's strong, or it mm. means this, or you're in this location." That's interesting. Um, I think it depends on who the owner is. If you're, yep. if it's a person that's quite experienced and has opened multiple venues in the past and mm-hmm. understands the industry, they'll have a name that they feel really resonates and pay some homage to the area. Um, yep. Yep. So that's one side of things. Then there's someone that might have a name that has a personal association um, to their own experiences and their own dreams that they want to fulfil. Um, but yep. if you were to engage with an agency, um, like a design agency or a creative agency, they know what they're doing in terms of what works and they think of things in a, in a really beautiful kind of way to think about it. the business a lot larger than it actually is. Like they, yes. they set up the room for growth when you do work with an agency. 
Um, but a lot of small business owners that decide to start a cafe kind of have a name that they like and they always dreamed of having a cafe. That's what they're going to call it. If you're going to be, yeah, if you're going to be doing that, definitely, I think, be prepared to project manage things in a certain way, be super organised and understand how the creative part of the business is important to bringing mm-hmm. people in to the venue, if that makes sense. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Cool. Um, so I've got my food venue. I've got a great logo. I've got a great brand story. My staff ready to go. Mm-hmm. My product's on point. I'm loving my atmosphere, Bianca. Everyone's happy. <laughs> How do I actually increase the brand recognition for a food venue sort of in those first two to three months which are critical to the success of all venues when they open? So you've got everything basically set up and ready to go. Um, yeah. It's just about, I think, creating content. That's why content has been such a big thing over the past. Look, it's been around for a while, but I think over the past just a year, people are getting it that, hey, this is the most cost-effective way to communicate what you do. It's accessible to anyone. Anyone can do it. You've got to start, like, pumping out that content. So I think it's about creating a clear strategy around what your venue is about. Um, if you're wanting mm-hmm. to attract more, um, it just depends on the area you're in, but it's like showing visually that, you know, your coffee is beautiful by putting up a photo of latte art. You know, you care. Do you mm-hmm. know that shows that you care? Mm-hmm. It shows that you, the barista is skilled enough and cares enough about what he does to learn little tricks of the trade and, you know, do a little pretty um, pattern. Um, mm-hmm. It's about maybe just doing Q&As with, your staff and where they come from and why they're in it. Because, for example, in hospitality, everyone knows that there's such high staff turnover. A lot of people get into the industry without having the intentions of being a professional in the industry. They want to, it's just as a means to an end whilst they study or whilst they are in between other sort of things too. But I think when you have certain people in your venue that are working there, they bring a certain flavour and taste to things too. So even just doing Q&As as to, you know, what they do for fun and what their passions are and getting your customers to build that relationship with them too, if that makes sense, because coffee is quite personal. Coffee and tea, people are very particular. You know what I mean? There's a a way things are and then there's a way people like things. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's another thing you can do. Um, It's just about, I think, just creating creating content that shows what you do and how you do it consistently over time. Um, even doing collaborations with people is and other brands mm-hmm. that are like-minded is super smart. Um, full disclosure, I used to work with Collaborosaurus um, that connects brands for mutually beneficial partnerships, which is an amazing platform to check out. I highly recommend it because you can exchange cool. something that you have for something else another brand has. Um, okay. But in general, like... A brand that does this significantly well is Peter Pepo. Peter Pepo will team up um, for different campaigns. Um, you know, and you see they do so many different collaborations and it's, they can still maintain the integrity of their brand and their product. But by yes. doing collaborations, for example, with, um, I'm just trying to think for... Um, Baker DiCaprio, yes, for example. Yes, for mm-hmm. Easter. You know, and mm-hmm. because they're Melbourne foodie venues, you know, it's just such a smart thing to do. And they can tap into each other's audience because the person that loves, I used to call it Baker Tachirico, <laughs> so I might be wrong, but <laughs> someone that te- teams up with, uh, if, when they team up with them, they're tapping into their audience whilst also keeping their same audience too. So it's just so um, beneficial for both of them. Um, yes. 
and that way you can tap into new audiences as well. Um, and just even organising cross-promotions with some of your suppliers. Um, you know, you might use tea from, I'm just using this as an, as an example, Storm in a Teacup. Like create some yeah. content with them um, about the tea, you know, educating your customers. So I'm, I'm kind of going on a bit of a tangent here. But the point I'm I'm really passionate. I'm just like, <laughs> no, no, everything, everything's so exciting. Everyone can tell Bianca it's good. It's <laughs> so good. many opportunities. But I think just creating content and really focusing on what your brand does and what your business does really well and just communicating that, you know, being proud of that. You know, yeah. I think a lot of um, cafe managers and business owners really do love their staff and they are the people that are communicating everything that you've ever put into practice. Do you know what I mean? And everything that you've built, yep, totally. you know, they're doing the things. So just empowering them as well on how to use social media too. And because they're working sort of day in, day out. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, most, most definitely. Like they are day in, mm. day out. They know what's going on. Yeah. Right? I was going to say, why do you think collaborations are now, you know, so predominant and so cool to do? Because, you know, when I was early starter, like in my early twenties and stuff like that, like business owners would hold on to every single piece of information they had mm. and IP and all that kind of stuff. Like it was really hard to do um, collaborations. If it, if it was happening, it was big brands with other big brands, mm. you know, in order to siphon people and offer a new product launch or something like mm. that. Why do you think it's happening on such a micro scale now with these venues? Because um, I think they're seeing the value in terms of the brand equity that they bring. So Peter yeah. Pepper brings um, a really fun, exciting, playful Italian charm and, you know, Baker de Chirico, that's what I call it. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> is it Baker de Chirico? How did you say it? Yeah, Chirico. Oh, well, that's yeah. cool. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sounding uncultured. But <laughs> um, they bring, you know, really good quality, um, uh, you know, uh, baked goods, but so does um, Peter Pepe. They bring really good quality ice cream, and that's what they have in common. Um, so it's about yes. teaming up. If you're going to, if it's because, for example, when those two brands team up, they're able to secure press because they, you know, if they get into featured in broadsheet, then broadsheet's readers love both of those brands. So they're sharing that brand Correct. equity and making yep. both their customers happy. Um, yeah. But you can do smaller collaborations and team up on smaller things. So. There's, you know, if you're in a bar, for example, team up with um, a liquor-based brand, um, like an alcohol brand, to create a custom drink or something like that. Yeah. Like, really think outside cool the box idea. and get creative with what you actually have already. Like, you don't have mm -hmm. to be reaching out to brand new people because that can take some time, but it's about the networks you already have and how you can team up with them to, to really create that brand awareness and, you know, in, improve your brand recognition you know, you might, you know, it's just, it's about leveraging what assets you actually currently have. And you're exchanging yeah, those definitely. assets for a certain project or campaign in exchange for what they have to offer and stuff. So it's very, it's all about being mutually beneficial and getting what you need out of it and what they can get out of it too. And it's just about just sharing what your customer already loves and knows about you in a different kind of way. Yes. Yes. To get a different understanding. Yeah. With, um, with so much social and so much different points of marketing that any venue owner can actually use now mm -hmm. if you look at, um, you know, broadsheet urban lists with press releases, if you're talking mm -hmm. um, uh, CRM, email-based marketing to consumers who have already been in your site, mm -hmm. 
um, if you're talking websites and then you bring in social media with that, um, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, mm-hmm. um, you know, pictures, videos, all this kind of stuff. Like it's, like it's quite overwhelming mm-hmm. for a person who owned a venue 15 years mm-hmm. ago when really all they needed to do was make sure they had a great quality product great service mm. and then they knew if they delivered on that brand their actual experience with inside the four walls mm-hmm. then they could actually bring more consumers mm-hmm. right more customers what do you think for a person who might not be at the level yet to use someone of your high skill um to help mm-hmm. out um what do you think they could really focus on to maybe get the most return now as we're sort of talking you know June 2018? Mm. Well, I think focus, uh, see it as things as in levels. Um, It's very easy to get overwhelmed by all the different variety of things and you don't need to be everywhere. Um, For example, even marketing and marketers, marketers don't have to do all the things and be all the things. They just need to be prepared to know what tool to use when it's needed. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, Yes. So think of it as in if you're, and this is just like basic 101, if you're not on Instagram as a cafe, get on Instagram. Like, don't focus on having the perfect logo because, you know, before you can do that, don't wait for that sort of permission to get started because the first initial stage that you're having a problem with is getting confident in your product and the content you're putting out there. You know what I mean? Build a habit around putting out photos on Instagram, talking about your product, talking about your people, and then comes the next phase. So it's like, because, for example, if you are a cafe, you... You deal with customers in real life. Your customer doesn't necessarily care, I don't think, about being on a mailing list unless you do events and workshops and all that sort of stuff. If you're just selling Mm -hmm. coffee day in, day out, all the marketing is kind of happening within the venue and it's all about bringing people into the venue. So then that's what you need to focus on unless you want to diversify and do workshops, which I recommend you do do. Um, That's a great (laughs) other way to get some extra revenue. Um, going yep. but um so focus on that first in terms of email marketing you, you've if if you wanted to do workshops and all that sort of stuff you've got to get people to know about it you know maybe even just set up like a sign up um like a printable if you're not into technology or whatever set up um print out like a name and email sheet be like hey we're going to do some events sign up to find out and if you've got 200 customers that have come in and 50 of them have wanted to sign up, that's a way to get mm-hmm. them onto your mailing list. Otherwise, how are you going to tell them to get on your mailing list if you're dealing with them in real life? For example, um, like when I used to work with My Goals, which is a stationary brand, when we used to work at the, like, um, what's it, the big design market and Finders yep. Keeper. So they're all very, like, arts and crafts, really cool, um, where you can discover new brands and stuff like that. And so when people... Um, wanted to keep in the know what we were working on or all that sort of stuff, we'd have an iPad or a worksheet um, available for people to sign up because there's such a high volume of people coming into those doors. I think it was like an excess of 10,000 people and it's like, well, that's well, it's yeah. a huge advantage to get those new people like introduced to your brand through your email marketing systems, if that makes sense. So yes. essentially that's phase two. So you've got social media, phase one, get confident with content. Phase two is your email marketing and getting people sign up to your mailing list because it's a different level of trust. Um, yes. It's so easy just to hit follow and it's very, like, low involvement. Meanwhile, if someone's giving you the email, they're inviting you to their inbox 
which they check daily, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, yep. So I think I'd focus on those two things. Um, and then when you have events, like create an event on Facebook, like see what happens organically with the audience you already have. Most yeah, if, you've got, if you don't necessarily have an audience on Facebook, use it more so as a channel for Facebook advertising because um, you don't have that, you know, if you've only got 10 followers on Facebook, you're not going to have 40 people coming to your event. It's just simple yes. mathematics. But it's like yep. using the platform as an advertising platform. So if you're going to host an event, you know, put some money into it to see what happens and comes from it. Because with Facebook advertising, any advertising, when you're sort of starting out, it's all about testing. It's just continuously testing what works, what doesn't. It didn't work, mm. you eliminate it or you put it to the side and you keep on mm. building on what has worked. What, what's, your, what's your theory on... Um on why some Facebook marketing campaigns don't work. Do you think Do you think it's because of, and this goes for mm. Instagram as well, which obviously does paid advertising too. Mm. Do, you, do you think it's because of the copy? Do you think it's because people sort of want to spend a bid and test and then don't get the return they, you know, they wanted, which they might have thought was, you know, a massive return mm. uh, and then don't do it anymore? Like, do you think it's more the copy or do you think it's people just not giving a, a real red hot go? Um, I think I think people give up before they even try it. They try, <laughs> yeah, they, they right. create one Facebook ad in terms of who they think their customers are. They don't see yep. a return and then they leave it to go dusty in the corner. Um, and the thing yes. is, any marketing professional will tell you this, it's all about testing you might think something works and then it doesn't work. But that's why, like, for mm. example, with Facebook advertising, there's split testing. So you can use the same words um, but change up the images. So one image versus another image but using the same text. And then you can see what gets you better results. Then you can yep. test by doing different words and different copy um, but using the same image. So which copy is more enticing to people? And it's just a continuous yep. process of just you just got to keep on trying, 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 trying until you create your own little formula of what works versus, versus what doesn't work. And yep. once you've kind of got those foundations right, you keep going. But people will create one ad. And they might be listening to this and they'll be like, I created one ad, didn't work, it means it doesn't work. That's yep. couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, it's just one of the easiest, most affordable um, tools to raise awareness about your business. Simple, simple yes. as that. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're feeling shy about how to create content, like listen to, you know, podcasts like Gary Vee, like he'll, he'll you know, kick you in the face and tell you <laughs> to get over what you're feeling and just do yeah, it. And then he'll give you step by step yeah, what to do. Because so at, at the end of the day, ultimately, you know, it, marketing is tactics, but building a business really is about mindset. Um, and yep. you need to have those foundations for yourself to be able to give to your business. Um, you know, so many times there are um, business owners and managers that are a chokehold to the business and you've got to just recognise where the strengths are, where your weaknesses are before you kind of do anything. That's why I think, like this is me going on a tangent again, but personal development is so important in, for everyone in their lives because it literally makes you go, this is what you're good at, this is what you're not so good at, focus on yep. your strengths, build on it, work on your weaknesses as you go and yep. know where to outsource. You know what I mean? And then when you mm -hmm. outsource, you're employing other people to do things for you, but better. And then that's where the next phase kind of comes in. Do you know what I mean? Totally yeah. agree. Yeah. And I think I always get a bit confused, Bianca, like 
why if you've spent so much money on a venue, let's say 100,000, mm. 200,000, upwards of a million dollars, mm. why wouldn't you spend, you know, 3 to 10 to 15% on marketing, especially the initial stage mm. to get real brand recognition? Mm. Um, I remember when I used to have a bakery in my 20s and, and used to pay, you know, 2.5% to my franchisor. Mm but then used to do our own marketing off the back of that, which, you know, I'd spend five, $600 to try and, you know, in those mm-hmm. days to do leaflet drops, mm-hmm. right, to get people mm-hmm. in. And 35% redemption on that was really, really good. Um, and now people get discouraged when, you know, they don't get a 1,000 likes to, yeah. a, to a post on Facebook. Oh, gosh. When that's a whole other story. So, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other story. That's just like oh, taking me started on that it. and like vanity metrics and stuff. Yes. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you one final mm-hmm. question before you go and I really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. Um, with, all, with all we've talked about today, what do you think the biggest tip you can give to someone when they're actually creating their food brand mm-hmm. um, to make sure it's as successful as possible? Um, I think the first thing you need to have in your mind is... You just have to be certain that you're in it for the long haul. Um, It is no quick fix. You're not going to make money overnight. Maybe you will. You might, you know, cover some of your expenses and start making a profit. But you you have to consistently be motivated and love it. You have to love the industry and want to learn and Mm -hmm. keep consistently motivated over time um, when you are investing so much money into it. Like it's you really, really, really need to want to do it. Um, I think also getting experienced in all the facets of the business. So from like, Mm -hmm. you know, watching where the business's money goes and, you know, setting up your staff so that they feel empowered to take ownership of certain areas. You know, if they're running the floor, like giving them the confidence that they, that they know what to do and they know how to treat customers and letting them sort of do that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I also probably would say um, keeping an eye out on what the competition is up to, but just so yep. you remain aware of what they do and what they offer, but not directly comparing. Not yeah, yeah, not directly comparing yourself because you've, you've got to focus on creating something that people will come to you for and love you for. You know, every cafe yes. has the basics. They've got your poached eggs on toast. They've got your smashed avo. They've got your porridge. Like, those are basic things that people want. But what can you do mm-hmm. to add a twist to that? And I think, mm-hmm. for example, a brand that did that incredibly well was um, Kettle Black and Top Paddock with the hot cake. That's, like, one of the most Instagrammable yes. dishes Absolutely. ever. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to put out some mm-hmm. stuff on my socials in the coming weeks just about Instagrammable food. Um, oh. But it's just, like... Create something that's a bit different. Like it's good to know what your competition is up to because your customers are comparing you versus them on their weekends or when they go for a coffee if they're in that area. But mm-hmm. don't don't be confined by that, you know, and that's with any business in general. Do you know what I mean? It's good to know what they're up to, but you're doing that, but I'm doing this. And just do that yes. really, really, really well and focus on yourself. Totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> Bianca. Your uh, branding and marketing expertise today <laughs> has been exemplary. Uh, I thank you so much for your time. I will make sure that uh, everyone knows where you're from in the bio. This, so if you if you're listening to this, guys, look in the bio, look up Bianca, and reach out to her. She's an incredible person. Thank you, um, Bianca. Thanks so much for today. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Thanks.